My name is Errol Corker, and I'm the founder and the CEO of the AB Corporate Foundation for Mental Health. Welcome to our podcast series, Brain Goods, Mental Health Moments. On this presentation, we have Claire Yu, who's discussing with us an Asian American story with mental health, the challenge associated with cultural ethnicity. Thank you so much, Dr. Corker. It means a lot. Um, hi guys, I'm Claire. I'm 18 years old and I recently just graduated high school. So I'm really excited to be here today just because I think it's really, um, like for me personally, I love hearing other people's stories and especially um, throughout these past months, a lot has been happening, uh, especially within different communities. And it's important to learn about, you know, perspectives outside of your own, especially as it relates to um, other ethnicities and the other cultures and other I guess like general different groups that you might not identify with, but it's always important just to sort of broaden your knowledge and learn more about them. For the pre presentation, I kind of wanted to do it into two parts. So the first part is going to be pretty short and it's just me kind of explaining my background and kind of, you know, telling you guys where I come from, both li literally and like figuratively. And then after that, I'm just going to be jumping into more general, like Asian American and Pacific Islander struggles with mental health and specifically talking about the Chinese American experience because I'm Chinese American. And I think that my experience does not speak for all Asian Americans as Asia is quite literally like the biggest continent. And there's so many different experiences and narratives that need to be shared. So I'm just hoping that I can like sort of, you know, bring one piece to the entire puzzle. All right. So furthermore, in terms of my story, I kind of wanted to break it down even further into two different like sort of spheres. And the first one is community perceptions. And the second one is internalization of stereotypes. So in seventh grade, um, it was kind of the first time when I was dealing with anxiety and sort of the symptoms. And at that time, I didn't really have a label to put on it because mental health, as you know, Maybe for those of you who have been through junior high and still sort of remember it, it's very at that stage, you're not really like cognizant of like thinking about your thinking and sort of like, you know, stepping outside yourself and sort of reflecting on, you know, what's going through your mind. Right. So in seventh grade, I was so um, kind of lost and the people around me who were open about mental health, um, those of uh, most of them were not Asian American. So when I heard them tell about their stories, I was like. Hmm, like, I don't think I can, you know, be as brave as them. And at that time, I didn't know why, but now I sort of have a better inkling of that. So in terms of seventh grade, I remember this one conversation I had with my friend and where she would talk a lot about her symptoms of depression. And I'd be like, OK, what can I do to support you? I'm always here for you. I'm not a therapist, but I feel like, you know, as a peer, I can do whatever it takes to sort of, you know, comfort you in whatever way I can. Um, but I also noticed that the friends that I had that struggled with mental health also tended to have bad grades or didn't go up to class and all these other like sort of associations that were perceived as negative in my community. Because growing up Asian American, I was always taught that, you know, you, you should always have good grades. You know, that was very definitive of my identity. And looking back, you know, that's not a really good mindset to have. Like no one should be determined by like their numbers, their value isn't associated with that, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But at that time, I sort of mistakenly labeled at, um, mental health as something that if I shared it out loud, like maybe my grades would go down or like if I acknowledged what was happening inside my head, like, you know, something bad would happen to me that would delegitimize my identity or like knock me down a notch in terms of like me being Asian American and me supposedly being like, you know, the model minority, if that makes sense. 
So that's sort of the community perceptions aspect of it. Um, moving through high school, I think it got better. And I learned that the anxiety that I was experiencing was really, you know, boiling down to just having extra energy. So like, for example, if people like sleep at night and they sleep at like maybe like 10, 11, like my extra energy would make me sleep like a little later. And I realized that the extra energy I had didn't have to be a negative thing. Like instead of worrying about everything, you know, every doing everything under the sun, you know, thinking about everything and nothing at all, I realized that I could turn that negative energy into something positive. For example, staying up an extra hour and like finishing a project or like working ahead or like, you know, just using my energy and channeling into something positive that benefits both me and the people around me. So I guess that's kind of like sort of a very, very um, short overview of how I dealt with anxiety in terms of, you know, turning this excess energy into something that's productive and something that moves me forward instead of holding me, holds me back. Um, But obviously everyone deals with it to a different degree. And the way that I dealt with it is not something that I would recommend um, everyone deals with it. All right, so for the second part, um, is just like the internalization of stereotypes. Um, so I kind of thought that because the Asian Americans around me didn't tend to talk about mental health a lot, especially in high school, because everyone's moving at a million miles per hour and everyone's you know doing everything again. And I felt like, because no one else was talking about it, I felt like I couldn't talk about it. And so I was basically trying to like internalize these stereotypes that, you know, Asian Americans are pretty like, you know, reserved. They don't really talk a lot about their feelings. You know, they don't show emotion as often um, as maybe other people do. And so this combined with like sort of the community perceptions of how I was supposed to act sort of, you know, stifled my growth in terms of, you know, coming out, you know, talking about it, you know, kind of like, you know, removing the stigma associated with anxiety and just mental health in general. And now that I reflect on my high school experience and having lived through that, I feel a lot better because I feel like I've been able to talk about it more just because high school's over. I closed that chapter and I feel like I can sort of talk about it now since it's sort of out in the open and it's, how do you say, it's very like, hmm, like, it's not as high stakes anymore because I feel like I've come to terms with my identity and how I present myself. So I guess like with my story, it's still ongoing, but I feel like, you know, the trouble sometimes in seventh grade and high school is mostly come to an end. And now as I move forward, I realize that in college, I'm going to have a lot more resources, whether it's peer to peer counseling, um, like office hours, like so many people, who are there to support me. I'm really thankful for that, but I know that this is not the case for all Asian Americans in our community. So next, I really, really wanna talk about sort of the general challenges that Asian Americans face. And I specifically wanna talk about the Chinese American community, just because again, this is the community that I'm a part of. And I feel like I can speak to that more as opposed to Asian Americans as a general um, group. So we're gonna break this down into three sections. Um, The first, I'm just gonna be sharing with you some statistics. They're very general, very um, broad. So those of you who like numbers and kind of, you know, um, learning about like general and broad statistics about the Asian American experience, will definitely sort of understand this and kind of vibe with that. Um, Second part is kind of these overarching concepts. So basically there are these pillars, I would say, that sort of define the, um, the Chinese American experience and sort of act almost as barriers to seeking out mental health help or even acknowledging that mental health exists and needs to be, you know, addressed. 
And then the third part is common misconceptions. So I'm going to read to you guys a bunch of um, sort of quotes um, and kind of walk you guys through sort of like the thinking behind them and how it ties back to like the Chinese American culture and how that can also prohibit people from getting the help that they need. All right. So here on this slide, there are two um, like graphics, and I know there's so much on there um, in terms of words, but if you guys just want to read through them, um, and I'll just kind of speak to sort of a little bit about like the general like numbers that you see. So 7.4% of Asian Americans and 9.4% of Pacific Islanders do not have health insurance. And obviously health insurance is a big barrier, especially in minority communities when it comes to seeking out mental health help. And some insurances don't even cover that. So like I would say that was more like a physical barrier that some people in our community face when it comes to seeking out help. Um, the next one is like language barriers and kind of like general like why Asian Americans might not be able to you know seek out help success successfully so like they might have the insurance they might have the financials covered but when they actually sit in the room and they actually like discuss things they might feel like it's not a productive experience and it's not something that they would want to come back and you know do it again um, on the right, it's more speaking to um, Asian women specifically. Um, all this data is from Mental Health America, but this one is a specific study done on Asian women. And it was actually kind of hard to find because part of the reason why Asian Americans actually have this like stigma and it's, like all these like disparities that people talk about is because there's not a lot of research that is done on certain ethnicities. And most of the research is mostly concentrated as like know Americans as a whole or like you know broken by gender or might I say more leaning towards like the majority group instead of the minority group and because of that this is one of very few studies that have been done um, targeting a certain ethnic group in mental health so now we're going to be talking about sort of these buzzwords I would say and kind of breaking down what they mean and exactly what it does to prevent Asian Americans from seeking out help so the first one is this big word called intergenerational trauma, intergenerational meaning kind of transcending generations. Um, and there's quite a bit of um, pieces to unpack here just because this word, while it's pretty you know, easy to say, it's just a couple syllables long, um, it actually like signifies like a lot of different um, factors that you have to consider when you talk about intergenerational trauma. So the first one is the most straightforward one, um, so like Asian American families who immigrate here and they come from a country that is, I guess you would say like less fortunate, like traditionally than America, they might have like, um, they might have experiences that they bring to this country and pass down into their further generations. For example, a refugee family comes to America and they have, and they start a family, right? Um, while the kids don't experience the trauma that the parents experience, um, they still go through like, the psychological um, like effects of that trauma is passed down to the children, even though the children might grow up very happily or like they might have a very stable home environment. If the family does not have that stable home environment, for example, like that's just one example of many different ways that trauma can be caused, um, the children can still feel the effects of that. And so that's kind of breaking down the word intergenerational in the sense that just because children who are um, you know, a product of immigration don't necessarily experience the same things to the extent of their parents. It doesn't mean that they're free from that trauma. They still carry sort of like the relics of that psychological damage and they carry that, you know, throughout the generations. 
So another example of this would just be like more like on the biological side. For example, um, if parents have high cortisol levels, which kind of is a symptom of long-term stress, they can actually pass that down to their kids. So their kids might have neuroendocrine and epigenetic changes. Sorry about that. Um, and even though like the kids might have you know, nothing to be stressed about, you know, like, for example, they still might have those because it's a relic of sort of that genetic standpoint that their parents sort of passed down to them. Um, in terms of intergenerational trauma as a whole, um, Vietnamese, um, Cambodian, Hmong, and Laotian Americans are more likely to suffer from depression just because they tend to come from backgrounds in which intergenerational trauma is exacerbated by a lot of the experiences that you know, the parents face, and then they pass that down to their kids. So this is just one of the few pillars that kind of hold up why Asian Americans maybe experience more mental health issues than normal, or why, you know, you might say like, oh, but they, you know, they grew up here. Why do they have, you know, like a mental health issue? Well, it's because of that intergenerational trauma and how trauma is not just limited to just one, you know, generation. Um, yeah, it's, it's a lot to unpack, but I think that in general, it's, it's something that's really important to understand because it also relates to a lot of the current issues that we um, hear about right now. Um, all right. So the second one is pressure to succeed. And this one is more, um, I would say, some of you guys probably um, know, know about this more. Um, but it's basically kind of goes hand in hand with the model minority myth and kind of how um, especially like in different Asian countries, like a lot of um, people feel like they have to like be doing things 24 seven. Um, for example, in Hong Kong, um, they have like the most work weeks per um, um, work hours per week, sorry, globally. And 60% of residents are apparently stressed out by their jobs. Um, they have a lot of different statistics that show that, you know, everyone there is always sort of hashtag like on the grind, right? But not in like a healthy way. Like sometimes, you know, some people can, you know, manage that healthily, but it's not something that should be expected of everyone, right? So a lot of people just feel like overwhelmed and they don't have anywhere to turn to because it's sort of normalized in the community. Like, for example, if you're struggling, right, but your community seems to be doing fine, like everyone else is doing the same work as you or even more, or at least your perception is that everyone else you is staying afloat, but you're sort of like, you know, kind of halfway half in and half out of the water, um, you might feel like there's something wrong with you and that like you're supposed to be able to handle this workload, but you can't, right? Yeah, imposter syndrome, yeah, imposter syndrome. Like you feel like there's something wrong with you instead of the environment and you feel like you're sort of, you know, you're supposed to be this, you're supposed to be someone that you're not and you feel like maybe your Asian American identity, whatever that may, might be, is sort of compromised as as sort of a consequence of not being able to like fulfill what's expected of you. Um, so an example I put was like the work, right? So like adults face work and then students who are in school, right? Like they might feel like they're treading behind, even though in reality they're doing like just fine or even more than fine, but because they surround themselves with, you know, a very competitive community or like someone of their own like ethnic identity um, that is like, you know, super competitive, like they might, you know, perceive themselves to be like lagging behind, um, and then they won't seek help because they feel almost like guilty or ashamed or any of those negative emotions that is so, that kind of bar a person from, you know, reaching out for help. All right. 
All right, this word is acculturation, and I had no idea what this word was until I started doing some research um, with the Asian um, Asian Mental Health Collective. And so, I might not explain this like you know the best way I can, um, but it's a really big word. And just like intergenerational trauma, there's so many different like facets to it. So I'm kind of going to be talking about it in a more broader sense. And if you guys want, like, maybe we can discuss it a little further, or you can like do some research on your own, um, whatever works for you. So basically like acculturation is this general term that describes sort of three different facets, the social, psychological, and cultural change when it comes to balancing, you know, two or even more cultures. Um, so when you talk about it in terms of the Asian immigrants relationship to, for example, like their family and their children, the next generation, there's a lot to unpack. Um, so acculturation actually has four different outcomes. The first of which is assimilation, which is strong ties to the dominant culture and weak ties to the ethnic one. Um, the second one is separation, which is you reject the dominant culture and you preserve the ethnic ties. So for example, someone who's Chinese American sort of rejects like the Western culture and they more identify with their Chinese identity. The third of which is integration, which is having strong ties to both cultures, sort of like the best of both worlds. And then the fourth one is marginalization, which is rejecting both cultures entirely. So what this means is really just um, the extent to which a family is able to um, assimilate into the like quote unquote like American identity um, really sort of has an impact and plays a pretty large role in terms of how the family experience is and if there are any like mental health issues that develop out of that. Um, if there's conflict between you know a parent and a, ch a child that stems from sort of like the parent being acculturated a certain way and the child being acculturated a different way, um, they can often butt heads and that ex that kind of leads to a lot of psychological disorders. So I guess where I'm trying to go with this is really just um, kind of like talking about the nuances of how immigration, while it's a physical thing, it's also, it also has a lot of mental consequences, both positive and negative. Um, as you've seen, like sometimes people can hold on to both cultures and they're able to balance it really well, right? The best of both worlds. But on the flip side, you might end up you know, kind of like falling short and feeling like you're, you don't identify with either or like you identify with one that's not, you know, where you live. Like, you know, I identify with my like Chinese culture more than my American culture. And that makes me feel like isolated, for example, because I'm, you know, surrounded, you know, by people who are identifying as Americans. Um, okay. So then I guess another thing with acculturation is just that, um, like in Asian cultures, and this is based on this research that I read, um, a lot of the family, um, like, sort of conflict stems from the parent being very, like, low warmth and high control, whereas in Western cultures, it's more, like, the parents are more, like, higher warmth and less control, and I think maybe you guys can sort of speak to that a little bit more, but it's more just, like, different styles in parenting can lead to a lot of conflict with children. So for example, um, in Chinese culture, it's okay to be, you know, pretty harsh on your kids and have that high level of control, like controlling, meaning like what they can do and what they can't do, you know, whether they can go out or not, you know, stuff like that. And having relatively low warmth in terms of like praise or like, you know, hugs or like physical displays of affection and also like verbal displays of affection. Um, like that's pretty normalized in Chinese culture. Like 
parents aren't expected to like, you know, hug their children like every 10 seconds or like, you know, do stuff that it displays like warmth constantly. Whereas in Western culture, there is a higher level of that and a lower level of control. So again, this is a generalization because we know that Western culture is not a monolith. Um, but in terms of like the research, it shows that in the Western cultures, there tends to be more autonomy, meaning that the parents let the kids sort of experiment and sort of, you know, experience, experience things on their own. Um, whereas in the Chinese culture, it's more like, you know, we'll hold you back from anything that we think might be unsafe to you and we'll like sort of shelter you until like a much later age. Um, again, this is like sort of like a general overview and not really indicative of all the specific cultures and stuff. All right, and then the third is stigma, which is like a big word. Um, we all know that we want to destigmatize mental health, right? But how do we do that exactly? Um, I guess like in Chinese American culture, um, mental health is definitely stigmatized in the sense that one, um, if you have like issues, it's mostly like, oh, you got to like talk it with your family. You got to like keep it in the family level, right? And there's this issue of saving face. Like what if other families find out, you know, how does that look and how does that reflect on your family? So like individuals feel like they have not just their own burden to carry, but also the burden of their family. Um, so it's kind of like you got to balance, you know, more than you can handle. Right. And then another thing, I guess, is um, kind of talking from personal experience. Um, I live in a suburb where I think two Chinese American um, suicides have happened in the past um, eight, nine ish months. And what I've noticed from them as sort of like someone who's heard about them secondhand is that there's a lot of like covering up of like the suicides in terms of like not a lot of people know. Right. Um, it's very like kind of like on the low, like you, you don't, it's not broadcasted everywhere. Um, I think that like the stigma associated with suicide is something that is, that needs to be unpacked, especially like probably like in greater detail, but in general, it's just like, there's so much, like, I don't even know where to start. Like, there's just so much like, um, like this generalization of like not wanting to talk about it. Um, just like refusing to seek out help because it reflects badly on your family, um, maybe senses of guilt or like, oh, like I caused this by myself or this um, feeling of like, oh, I'm just simply not strong enough mentally. Like I need to just, you know, like toughen up sort of, right? And this might relate a little to other cultures. Like the quote, there is no such thing as mental health is pretty universal in terms of um, different cultures and how some cultures actually don't have a language where they have you know, a word for mental health or a phrase for mental health, right? So it really depends on, you know, sort of the culture and, you know, kind of like how they talk about mental health, if at all. All right. And then the next one, I'm just going to be doing some like common misconceptions. So I'm just going to walk you guys through a few quotes. And basically the quotes just kind of describe sort of the barriers that um, a lot of Asian Americans face when it comes to talking about their mental health or getting help. So first one is I must be successful and cannot show signs of weakness. Um, this is pretty self-explanatory um, just because it's like very um, universal in the sense that, you know, Asian Americans are supposed to be like this model minority. They're supposed to be successful. Right. And they can't, you know, like show anything that, you know, disproves that. Second one is I'm ungrateful for all I have. Um, this is especially true for children of immigrants whose parents go through greater struggle to bring them to this country or, you know, to get, you know, somewhere like to get somewhere better, if that makes sense. Yeah. So like I like um, like when parents are like, oh, like 
you know, we struggled through so much more. Like, what do you have to be stressed about? Or what do you have to be upset about? Um, it is true that like a lot of times parents do struggle more, but it's definitely not helpful or productive to sort of use that struggle and like compare struggles and sort of use that to delegitimize like a, ch a child's struggle. Um, sec uh, third one is it's disrespectful to my spiritual beliefs. Um, this one is more just focused on religion. For example, in some cultures, suicide is viewed as a sin, um, which if you hear that, like, that's definitely like something that you would want to avoid, right? Because it's like, oh, like, you know, if my religion doesn't permit me to talk about mental health, or if my religion frowns on effects of mental health, like, what, what am I doing? You know, it's kind of, it's very, it's very, um, it's very detrimental to even being open about it and much less like seeking help. Another one is I don't know how to talk about it with my relatives, um, which is, again, either the language barrier, just the cultural barrier, just, you know, having nothing to stand upon in terms of common ground can really cause like family friction in terms of like, oh, like if I want to keep it within the family, but my family isn't receptive to it, receptive to it, like, what do I do? Next one is I've tried therapy before and I didn't find it helpful. Um, this one is kind of much to impact as well, because a lot of times um, when individuals are able to get therapy or able to get help, they actually don't come back for the second like session or they don't come back at all because they realize that there's just so much like cultural, like, like there's different like, cultural barriers. Like if your therapist is someone that can't relate to your culture or doesn't make an attempt to relate or maybe dismisses um, some of the stuff that you say or doesn't recognize some of the stuff you say, you know, can't vibe with you on a personal level, like all these different factors, like you might feel like you're disconnecting with them and you can't really, you know, express yourself in the way that you want to. Um, so it's important that people who work in mental health, you know, have like cultural competence and are able to, you know, be informed on different cultures so that, you know, when clients come to seek them out, they're able to speak to multiple different cultures and be fluent in multiple different identities and kind of learn to resonate with different clients depending on what their heritage is and being respectful of, you know, their ethnicity, their traditions and their culture in general. All right. So I kind of, I feel like I kind of breezed through those really quickly. And there's, again, there's still so much I'm still learning about. I'm still researching and still, you know, trying to keep myself informed and educated. I hope you guys found this some somewhat informative. Um, again, I'm still learning. Thank you. Thank you, Claire, for this extremely well put together presentation. We are happy that you were able to join us and share your story and hopeful that many of you have listened and benefited from it. Thank you again, Claire. Thank you everyone for joining us on this podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed it. Go to abkf.org and support us so we can continue on with our mission. Thank you again.